Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. Hello. You guys good? You guys good? Okay, cool. It's already been an awesome night at the Harbor. Are you guys fired up for Jesse Tree? Yes, I'm so excited about it. Like, I love Christmas. Uh, I do wait until after uh, Thanksgiving to listen to Christmas music. Do you guys do that? Does anyone start now? Anyone breaking out, breaking out Mariah Carey right now? She's warming up the vocal cord. She's ready to go. But I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to dive into it. Um, and uh, do you guys, I thought worship was awesome tonight. Can we clap for just celebrate worship? And uh, they're coming up at the end again. Um, I think it's amazing in worship. I was just thinking about this, that like it truly is an answer to Jesus's prayer for us to be one. You know, like Jesus in John chapter 17, he prayed and he said like, I pray that the church would be one. And when, when when we open the Bible, and I'm a huge fan of opening the Bible, we should teach the Bible and we teach the Bible every week. But that I've talked with different people and they're like, man, you know, there's different churches, there's different interpretations, there's different thought processes. And, and I think for the most part, so many people theologically agree on, on, on a lot on the main things. But it's such a cool moment when we as the church, like we can just sing to God together and we can celebrate just who God is together. And so, man, I was just thinking about that during worship and I was really just encouraged by it. So I'm excited to worship again with you at the end of service. All right. OK, let's go. OK. Um, all right, I'm going to pray and we're going to dive in. So let's, let's go. Uh, dear God, thank you for this night. Thank you that we get to have fun with Soul Sushi and with Channel the Flannel. And God, thank you for this text that we're about to read. Um, God, I, I, I pray that we would not take this for granted. I pray that tonight, even as we open up the word and, and, and read one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture, literally in the entire Bible, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, so have you ever been in a relationship with someone that just made your life way better? And I'm, I'm not specifically talking about like a dating or marriage relationship, although if you are dating and especially if you're married, you sh- the answer should be yes. So don't blow it in this moment. Don't be like, yeah, no, I got nobody. You know, like that's it won't, won't go well for you. But the point is, like, have you ever just, just had a friend, had, a, had a, a classmate, had a neighbor where it was just like, man, this person entered into my life and just everything got better? You guys know what I'm talking about? It is actually, by the way, if you are dating or married, it's a perfect opportunity just to look and be like, I know exactly, like, just look at them and just be like, I know exactly what they're talking about. Like, <laughs> that was you, baby. Like, just, just, just throw it out there, bonus points. I'm giving you an opportunity. But Here's the thing. I, I, I in, in true reality, like the answer for me is yes, and it is my wife, Katie. And I was just thinking about like, there are so many things that I just absolutely love and adore about my wife, Katie. We are best friends, and so we talk about everything, and I just love literally being able to talk to her about everything. Um, but there's just so many other just things. Like when I got married, I like literally found out that like, She just, like, I I used to be just a slob, you know? I just lived in filth all the time. And so, like, all of a sudden, like, she, like, taught me, like, it's actually, like, nice to live in, like, a clean house. And now I actually get to it. Like, I'm stressed about 
Like, like I, she's changed me to the point where I am stressed about dirt. And like, I'm stressed about mess. I'm like, this house is a wreck and I cannot enjoy myself until I get it clean. I'm like, what's happening to me? This is good. Like, I also learned through marriage, because when I was single and I ran out of toothpaste, I would just not brush my teeth for a week. It's like, I, it's like I, until I happened to go to the store again, like, and she's like, you can buy multiple tubes of toothpaste and have a backup. I didn't know that. Like, I just didn't know, thought never crossed my mind. It's so crazy. Like, she came home, and I was like, there's an extra one right there. When we run out, we just go to the closet and get another one. It's like crazy. So there are many things, many people that bring joy to our lives. And I, I do genuinely believe this. Uh, I, I'm going to stop talking about marriage in just a second. But if you are married, this is a great tip for you. And if you're not married, this is uh, just just like lock this one in, remember, but cultivate gratitude for your spouse, you know? Um, it, it's very easy to cultivate like a critical spirit. And so I just wanna encourage you uh, in, in relationships. And, and honestly, this is great for friendships. This is great for, for wherever you're at. Cultivate an attitude of gratitude and a heart of gratitude. I mean, I'm thankful for, for these attributes. I'm thankful for these people that God has brought into my life. But the point I was trying to get with is this idea that when someone enters your life and your life gets better. In Romans so far, the Apostle Paul has been talking about the gospel, and that's what we've been literally talking about for the past nine weeks. This is week 10 in our series. And the gospel, he, he has basically explained it, and this is a very short synopsis, that we are all, apart from Christ, we're under the wrath of God, which is the bad news. And so nobody is good enough on their own to make it to God. So even if you think you've kept some commandments, if you think you've done some good things, Paul says it's not enough, no one is righteous. But the good news is God has made a way for us to get right before God. And that is Jesus died on the cross, he rose again. When we believe in him, God gives us by grace acceptance into his kingdom. So that is the gospel, and Paul has been unpacking that. He's been explaining it over the last seven chapters. But here in Romans 8, the apostle Paul is gonna stop, and he's gonna say the gospel is just even more mind-blowing than that. Because in Romans 8, he's gonna say when you get the gospel, you get the Holy Spirit. And this is kind of the big idea for Romans 8, that when the Holy Spirit moves in, there are incredible benefits. When the Holy Spirit moves in, there are incredible benefits. And throughout Romans 8, we're gonna look at it over three weeks, there are these insane, amazing benefits that happen in our lives. The reason we are gonna take three weeks to look through Romans 8 is because many people feel it is the greatest chapter in the Bible. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, J.I. Packer, famous theologian, he said that Romans is the peak of the Bible and Romans 8 is the peak of Romans. This is like the moment that Paul has been leading up to to celebrate the power of the gospel. I actually just want to throw this out to you. If, if you want to bless yourself and you want to challenge yourself, memorize Romans 8. It's not short. It's 39 verses long. I once heard a pastor say that he offered uh, people in his congregation $100 if they memorized Romans 8. I'm, I'm, in, I'm tempted to do it, but I'm also afraid to do it. You know what I mean? Like, I can only have like one of you do that, you know? 
But I mean, the first person to do it, like, I, like I'll, give, I'll seriously, well, I'll give you 100 bucks if you do it, if you come up to me. But you can't have already done it. You can't come up tonight and do it. Wait till next week at least. I worked all week. I got it. But the point is, Romans 8 is this incredible, it's this powerful chapter. And we're just going to dive in. We're going to look at the first 13 verses right now. But the idea here is when the Holy Spirit moves in, there are incredible benefits. Look with me at verse 1 of Romans 8. Here's what it says. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Everybody say no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in those who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So let's unpack that for a second. Basically what Paul explains in this text is that before we came to Christ, we basically had two problems. The, the two problems were, number one, that, that we could not fulfill the, the righteous requirement of the law on our own. And number two, that, that our sin was separating us from God, okay? And remember, if you were here last week, and by the way, I thought Pastor Jackson like just crushed it, amazing teaching last week on Romans 7, which is not an easy uh, passage to teach on. But in Romans 7, he, he basically explained that you and I, we are in this toxic relationship with the law before we came to Christ. And, and think about, I don't know, I, I've been in a toxic relationship before. I hope you haven't, but maybe you have. Toxic relationships are no fun, and usually it's because both people aren't contributing something the, the way that they should. And so the law in this toxic relationship when we were with, the law, the reason it was toxic for us is because it told us what we could do and what we couldn't do, but it couldn't help us. It just told us this is what's right and this is what's wrong. We were in the toxic relationship with the law because we, as hard as we could try, we can't actually fulfill the law. I was reading this week in the book of Acts, and there's this moment where the apostle Peter, he's talking about the law, and he says this. He says, listen, the law, neither we nor our ancestors were ever able to keep it. So he's looking back at the entire Old Testament, and he's like, we couldn't keep the law. And so we're in this toxic relationship with the law, but what Paul says is, and I wanna just break down a little short part of this up on the screen here. Um, Paul says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, so, so yeah, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So the, the law couldn't help us, it couldn't save us, but God did what the law couldn't do. And when he sent Jesus to this earth, Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. And Jesus paid for sin. Our sin separated us from God, but God sent Jesus. Jesus paid for the sin. And now God has taken care of both of our problems. Our problem was we couldn't meet the righteous requirement of the law. Jesus met the righteous requirement of the law. 
Our other problem was our sin was separating us from God. Jesus paid for that sin. Now, now here's the trick. God never lowered his standard, okay? God never lowered his standard. Like I was thinking about with my son. My son is, is 18 months old. And to be honest, parenting someone who is 18 months old is basically just continually like lowering your standard. Like it's basically like, like he has like uh, this plastic golf club and like my standard would be like, I just don't want you to hit anything with the golf club, okay? Like that would be my goal. Just everything in the house I like, I, I have it there because I want it to be there. Don't break it, you know? But, but like the real realistic standard is just don't put a hole in the wall. If you don't put a hole in the wall, I'm stoked. So like for me, parenting my son, it's like I'm just lowering my standard. But, but God was not like that. He wasn't like, you know what? I will allow some sin. It's fine. You're good. No, what happened was he didn't lower his standard Jesus met the standard for us, right? God didn't get less righteous. Jesus became righteousness for us. He gave us his righteousness. And so if you are in Christ, you have actually received the righteousness of Christ. That is why it is possible for Paul to say, there is now therefore no condemnation. Because God has taking care of the righteous requirement of the law, and he has condemned sin, so now in Christ, we are in a position of no condemnation. So, so this is the question. How many people have heard the verse, no condemnation before? Raise your hand if you've heard the verse, there's now no condemnation. Very famous Christian verse. And, and I've always kind of heard that verse, but, but I feel like it's one of those that we toss around a lot, but it's like, what does it really, really mean, no condemnation? And so here's what I put up a couple slides for us that I think will be helpful for us. So we got to understand before there's no condemnation, what is condemnation? So, so this is before Christ, before you and I met Jesus. And by the way, if there are people in this room right now who, who don't know Jesus, this is your reality. This is a heavy thing, but this is your reality. Before Christ, we were condemned before God because our sin separated us from God we were placed under the wrath of God. Before Christ, we were condemned by Satan. We were actually part of the enemy's kingdom. We were in the domain of darkness. Before Christ, we were condemned by sin's power. In other words, you and I, we had to sin. We were slaves to sin is what we talked about three weeks ago in Romans chapter six. Before Christ, we were condemned to die because when we are in sin, the wages of sin is death and ultimately we're condemned to eternal death, to hell, which is a very heavy thing. So condemnation, it's a lot. Like I think from this list, my quick expert summary as a pastor is, we do not want condemnation. That's, that's like the quick Cliff Notes version. But, but look what happens with no condemnation. In Christ, we are free from condemnation before God. In other words, we, we have been made right with him, we're justified. We're free from condemnation by Satan because Satan doesn't have the authority to bring a charge against us. We're gonna talk about that in two weeks. We're free from sin's power. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. Sin doesn't have power over us because we are under grace. We still can sin, but sin doesn't have power over us. And then we're free from ultimate death because sin's consequences are gonna destroy. We're gonna have eternal life in Christ, not eternal death. So what we're talking about here is a beautiful, beautiful reality. It is a serious, serious thing. 
Now, now let me bring this to a very practical level because this is very theological. But on a very practical level, what this means is the, the, the thing that you're thinking about that's like this is the worst thing that I did that should have brought me great shame before God, that should have brought me great separation from God, God does not count that thing against you. If you are in Christ, you are free from that. So if you're in here, and I'm just gonna get like super real, super serious. If you're in here, and you're like, Brian, like five years ago, I, I, I was pregnant and I ended my pregnancy. And I have so much shame, so much regret from that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are free from condemnation because of what Christ has done for you. If you're in here and you're like, Brian, I am struggling and battling with porn and I'm trying to stop, but I can't stop. And I know it's wrong. I'm trying to serve Jesus and it's an addiction in my life and I'm fighting that addiction and I'm trying really hard and I, by God's power, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting the fight, but it's, it's still a fight. There's no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. That's not, that's not like if, if you figure it out. No, it's like if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. If you say, Brian, I am, I am battling with fear and God says I'm not supposed to fear and I'm battling with fear, I'm trying to trust him and, and by God's grace, sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't, like, man, there's no condemnation for you. Whatever you're walking through right now, there is no condemnation. This is incredible news. Can we agree with that? That's amazing news. Now, here, here's the thing that I think maybe some people are asking and the thing is, Brian, like, I agree, I theoretically agree with that. I want to believe that, but I don't feel that. Like, why do I still feel shame? Why do I still feel condemnation if there really is no condemnation? And, and I, can, I can relate to that. I'm like, I want to believe this. I want to walk in that freedom. Why don't I feel it? I think there's two possible reasons that we don't feel an experience of no condemnation. I think the first one it is that we genuinely could still be living in unconfessed sin. And that we actually could be experiencing guilt because of our unconfessed sin. As a society right now, we have equated any negative emotion to being bad. But, but emotion, it could either be good or bad. God has actually given guilt to us as a gift to cause us to turn to him. Now, guilt can get out of hand, guilt can turn into shame and there's all those things, but, but if you have actually done an act that you know is wrong before God and you haven't gotten right before God, then you, you should feel guilty. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. In fact, it says this verse in Psalm chapter 32, it says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. There was a few weeks ago, I was after the harbor talking to some people. One of the things I can struggle with is I like to be funny. I like to joke. And sometimes I'm like, I'll throw out a joke that's probably not the most appropriate joke because I want to get a laugh. And I did. I threw out a joke and immediately I was like, I shouldn't have done that. I woke up the next morning and I really did. Like I felt bad. I was reading my Bible and I was thinking about it and I was like, I should not have said that. And so 
that moment of, of shame and guilt for me, that's not like, oh man, that's not from the God, that's from the enemy, like I should feel positive and great all the time. Well, I did something that was wrong. And, and so I had to confess it to God and I had to go back to the people that I was talking to and confess it to them as well. Guys, I'm sorry for doing that. I should not have done that. And at that moment, I experienced that freedom again. And so it's possible that the reason you're not feeling like, oh man, there's no condemnation is because there, there's something in your life that is bringing guilt. Confess that to God. The other reason that we could be feeling no condemnation or we could be feeling shame or, or guilt over something that, that God says is no condemnation, <coughs> excuse me, is because our, our minds have been filled with negativity for so long that we've actually set our, our, our thought trajectory down a negative thought path. Uh, like uh, uh, counselors would call this automatic negative thoughts, ants, where we're so trained our brain towards negative thoughts that that's where we automatically go. There's this great movie called The Shawshank Redemption. It's an amazing movie. I don't know if anybody's seen it, but it's really, really beautiful. It's, a, it's about uh, this prison and these people who are in this prison. And spoiler alert, one of them gets out of prison at the very end of the movie. And he's working in this grocery store. And, and he like asks his boss, he's like, boss, like, I gotta go take a pee. Can, can I go? And the boss like, you don't have to ask me to take a pee. Just go take a pee, you know? Like, like you're, you're like a grown man. And he says in the voiceover, he's like, it's crazy because I've been in prison so long and I've been trained in my brain and institutionalized in my brain so long that I can't even pee without permission. It's kind of a weird thing to say and a weird like illustration, but the point is like we can be free, but our mindset is still that we're not free. That's where we can be at. And so there's plenty of reasons why we could have a mindset of bondage even though we're free. We could have had uh, current situations and experiences that make us think God doesn't love us. We could have had family of origin things that happen and that kind of informs our view and our reality of God. We could have millions of different things, even personality or, or, or makeups or something like that that makes us think, man, I have condemnation in my life when I really don't. So if you have guilt, confess it and move in God's freedom. But if you have these automatic negative thoughts, if you struggle with, with doubting that, that God has set you free, what do you do? Well, Paul, he answers that, and we're gonna continue to read in verse five. <clears throat> he says this in verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, here's what I think is really, really cool. Romans is a really deep book. Can we agree with that? Like, Romans is like a super deep book. And, and, and there's like a lot of depth, there's a lot of theology, there's a lot of like stuff that's happening in the book of Romans. 
But, but then Paul kind of gives us something that's really simple and not very deep at all. Here's what he says. He says, there's two possible ways you could live. You could live setting your mind on the things of the flesh, or you can live setting your mind on the things of the spirit. And here's the result. If you live a life setting your mind on the things of the flesh, that's gonna lead to death. And if you live a life setting your mind on the things of the spirit, that is gonna lead to life and to peace. It's that simple. And so what we see here is that, that for you and I, we have a responsibility to participate in what God has done. God has made this beautiful provision, but we have a participation that we have to make in the gospel, and that participation is our minds. Now, now what's interesting is that a lot of the great teachers about discipleship consistently say that our responsibility, the biggest thing that we can do, thank you so much, Eric, you're the best. Give it up for Eric, oh my goodness, that's amazing. It's 2021, you can't just cough anymore, you know? People will like be staying away from you. Thank you, Eric, you're the best. So, so many of the great teachers of faith talk about this idea that our responsibility is our minds. This is what Dallas Willard says, one of my favorite quotes in the world. He says this, that the first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. He says, this is the fundamental secret for caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to God. So what he's saying is the biggest responsibility for you and me as followers of Christ is to focus our minds on the things of God. This is what John Mark Comer says. He says, it is our responsibility to curate our thought life. No one else can do it for us, not even God. That's a crazy thing to think about. But, but you and I, God has given us stewardship and responsibility of our own minds. We Now, he, he puts thoughts in our minds. The enemy puts thoughts in our minds. We also put thoughts in our minds. But he says, it's ultimately your responsibility to curate your brain. Your mind is like a garden. And you get to choose what gets planted in there. You get to choose what you uproot. You get to choose what you allow to grow and allow to flourish. But be cautious because what you think will eventually come out in your life. And so we are, we are choosing and we are, we are deciding how we're going to live based on what we allow in our minds. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, Finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So this is a moment of self-reflection. What have you been thinking about recently? What have you been allowing in your mind? I've heard it said, and I couldn't exactly find the origin of the quote, but we should pay attention to what you pay attention to. 
Do you know that we have 24 hours in a day? We have 1,440 minutes in a day. We have 86,400 seconds in a day. And if an accountant could come and look at your thoughts and put them on a pie chart, look, put, put them on a bar graph, what would his report be about what you're thinking about? And for me, what, what I think to myself and what I ask myself is, is, is what my goal is, is I want more and more of my day to be focused on setting my mind on the things of God. Setting my mind on the things of the spirit because what's in my mind is eventually gonna come out in my life. Now, now this is a, a different view on the conversation about our screens. It's a different view on the conversation about what we listen to and our music. It's a different view about our, our conversations in our life because some of us, we grew up in a very legalistic atmosphere and, and we heard, don't watch this, don't listen to this, don't do this or God won't love you. The reality is God already loves everybody and what we listen to doesn't dictate our salvation because our salvation comes by grace through faith. But, but then so often, sometimes we swing the other way and we say, it's cheap grace. I can listen to what I want to listen to. God will still love me. It is true. You can. But, but what Paul is saying is that we, we are invited into the story of Jesus. We're invited into the kingdom of Jesus. And I want to set my mind on things that are going to point me in that direction. What do we pay attention to? What do we set our minds on? It's not a legalistic thing, but it's a decision that I'm making to say the most important thing in my life is my relationship with God. And I don't want to put things in front of me that are moving me away from that. I want to put things in front of me that are pushing me towards that. I want to think about what's just and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. So how do we do this? Some very practical things. Read scripture. Meditate on scripture. Come to things like this to hear the story of scripture. Right now, you're setting your mind on the things of the spirit. Memorize Romans 8. Find time during your day, apart from your morning devos, to build in some time. Do these things to say, man, how can I get more of that pie chart, more of that bar graph pointed towards my mind being pointed towards the things of God. This is our responsibility. This is our participation. Let's wrap up this section of the text. Verse nine, Paul says this. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of God does not belong to him. But if Christ dwells in you. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit which dwells in you. And then he wraps up this section. He says, so then we are debtors, not to our flesh, not to our old selves to live according to the flesh. But, for, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, then you will live. 
this section is once again saying when Jesus comes in, when the Holy Spirit comes in, there's benefits. There's amazing benefits. And what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit is basically trying to do two things in your life. First off, the Holy Spirit is trying to kill you, which is dramatic, but he is. He says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So the Holy Spirit is inviting you into this partnership where you say, I'm trying to put to death the things that are keeping me from God. But then after the Holy Spirit you, you and the Holy Spirit come together to, to, to die to yourself and to put to death the things that are keeping you from God, he says, then the Holy Spirit will bring you into new life. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he's also gonna give life to you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. That's powerful. So, so Paul, he wraps this up and he talks about the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. And if you think about this, this is consistent with the teaching of Jesus because the teaching of Jesus, Jesus, he talked to his disciples and he said this, if anyone wants to be my disciple, and I believe there are many people in here who want to be disciples of Jesus. He says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, look what he says. He must deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow me. And I think this is interesting. He says he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. So this is not like I did it one time. I, I, I checked that out once. I showed up. I made a decision, and now I'm good. It's a daily process. It's a daily saying, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm putting to death the things that are keeping me from God. But listen, if he says, he says whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So when we do that, when we put to death the things that keep us from God, the things that don't bring glory to God, it actually brings us new life. It brings us into the new life that Christ has for us. The, the, uh, Katie and I, this summer, we went on a, a, a little anniversary trip to Boston. Beautiful city, amazing city, one of the best cities that I've been to. And we went on this walking tour. She's a huge, huge history person. And so uh, we were walking around the city learning about all the history. And we discovered this one place that kind of blew my mind. Has anyone ever heard of the Big Dig before? Do you guys know about the Big Dig in Boston? I had never heard of it before. You know about the Big Dig? Okay, so in the 80s and 70s, there was the ugliest bridge that you can imagine kind of cutting through Boston. It was called like the artery, the traffic artery, which already, you know, it's an ugly bridge. And, and it literally is like painted green and yellow, and it was horrible for traffic. It was backing up traffic. And, and they had a major problem, not only with traffic, but it was also like literally cutting off another part of the city. You had to walk underneath this, tra you know, overpass, which nobody wanted to do. So this one area of the city was cut off from the rest, the North End. So this guy came up with this idea. He said, we should put the city or the, the, the bridge, we should put it underground, which was a cool idea, but there were skyscrapers everywhere. So they said, no problem, we'll dig under the skyscrapers. And if you look on Wikipedia, basically what they say is the big dig is the most expensive construction project in the United States history. It went wildly over budget. There was massive corruption, arrests, death, and it just, I mean, it, it was way more costly than you can ever imagine. They thought it was gonna be 2.7 billion, ended up being 8.8 .8 
billion dollars. It's going to cost the city of Boston $38 billion by the end of it. They thought it was going to take seven years, took 14 years. So it was very, very expensive. And people were like, this, this went horribly wrong for a very long time. But when I was standing there, I was standing in a beautiful garden in the middle of a city where a bridge had been, where an ugly, ugly overpass had been. And I looked around and there's all these beautiful restaurants. There's all this beautiful uh, like high-rise apartments. The area that had been cut off from everywhere else was one of the most flourishing areas of the city. And the guide, he said, this enabled this area to have flourishing again because people could actually walk to it. And where there used to be this ugly bridge, there's miles and miles of garden cutting through the city of Boston. And people consider it one of the most beautiful areas in any city in America. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, like, that is what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. Because the reality is, there are many things in our lives that don't look like the way Jesus wants them to look, that aren't bringing glory to Christ. And when we look at some of those things, we think like, it's actually gonna be really hard to get rid of this. It's gonna be like very, very difficult for me to put to death that part of me but, but what we don't even realize is, like, it was way more costly than we could even imagine. Because our sin wasn't just, oh, I have to get over some things, but our sin was literally so bad that we, it had to nail Jesus to the cross. Jesus literally laid down his life to pay for our sins. He died so that we could have life, so that he could send the Holy Spirit to us so that the Holy Spirit could put to death the things that are keeping us from God and could bring us back to life. But here's what I love because, listen, this moment right here where we're in, where we're thinking about the things that are keeping us from being more Christ-like, where we're thinking about maybe a specific sin that, 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 that God is bringing to your mind right now, maybe some of you in here, you're saying, like, Brian, I can't get rid of that. I've tried really hard. Like I've, I've done my best and I'm just always gonna have this struggle. The, the reality is that what Paul just said is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Like Jesus, he was dead. It wasn't like, oh yeah, like he had a bad day. He was a little worn out from the cross. He just chilled for a minute and he was, you know, he was dead. The Romans were very good at what they did and they made sure that he was dead. And yet, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, brought Jesus back to life, brought a dead man back. It's the foundation of our faith. If we don't believe this, then we're all wasting our time if that didn't happen. But God brought Jesus back to life, and he says that same power is in you, not just so we could flex on people and act almighty and powerful, but so that we could be the people that Jesus wants us to be. So that we could have victory over sin. So that we could have power and evangelism. So that we could have love and kindness as we walk through life. So the reality is that, that we get a moment and the opportunity to understand that it is truly the power of God living in us to bring us into new life.
So what have we talked about today? And I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. What have we talked about today? We've talked about the fact that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. We've talked about the fact that God's power has provided for us new life, that the Holy Spirit is actively working in our lives. But we've also talked about the fact that our responsibility in the process is to set our minds on the things of God. And so if you're leaving here and you're asking, what do I do? What we do is we work over and over again towards saying, God, I wanna set my mind more and more on the things that you're doing, more and more on the things of the Spirit. And as that happens, God, through his power, will bring us into a place where we overcome, will bring us into a place where we walk towards him, will bring us into a place where we become more like him. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful for what you're doing. We're grateful that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. God, I thank you for Romans 8, the greatest chapter, for the fact that you have done such incredible things in our lives. God, I pray, I believe you're working in these moments right now. I believe you're moving. God, I believe you're stirring in our hearts a deeper understanding of the gospel, a deeper understanding of what you've done. And I ask even now that for those who maybe are newer to the faith, that even these moments are moments where they're grasping what you've done at an even deeper level. For those of us who have been around for a while, that we are saying, God, I want to become more like you. I want to fall more in love with the gospel. And God, I ask that there would be people here who are far from you and they encounter you through this message. We thank you, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.